0: From their humble beginnings on a cattle station in the Kimberley of Western Australia, Ringers Western's inspiration comes from their roots. Ringers pride their brand on being tough, adaptable, sometimes cheeky, but always offers you class and loyalty. These principles, along with a high standard of design and quality, set Ringers Western way ahead of the mob. Personally, three quarters of my wardrobe is Ringers and the majority are their jackets. With winter coming soon, head to ringerswestern.com to check out the range and get yours today. Welcome back to another episode of Reminisce with Jaden. We're very lucky today to be joined by Matt Runnels. He's a CEO of Mindful Oz, um, does a lot of work around the mental health space in schools and is also a best-selling author. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, mate. And, uh, yeah, any opportunity to start meaningful conversations and, you know, alleviate and elevate these conversations of mental health is a good one for me. So I appreciate you having me on. I met you at your gala ball that you run last year. Um, not even sure how I got got invited or how I ended up buying a ticket, but ended up going there and just, you're on stage, you were speaking, you had people getting up, speaking about mental health, um, losses in the past. And I just thought it was really inspirational. The way you spoke was great. And, um, we've sort of kept in contact since mm. then. Um, what sort of got you into the the mental health space?
1: Yeah, well, I guess it it's been a long journey, mate, um, unfortunately for me, I got involved in the mental health space due to live, those lived experiences of it. And, you know, we'd love for people to get involved because they don't have lived experiences of it. But the way the world's moving at the moment, it's quite challenging. There is a lot of people out there hurting. And unfortunately for me, from the ripe old ages of, you know, 12 years of age, I lost my first mate. And between the ages of, you know, 12 and now 32, I'd lose a further 10 mates. So it's, it's very real to me. Um, I live it every day. Um, I go through my own struggles and challenges. But um You know, I did what everyone in society says you should do when you struggle. When I noticed that I was going through these things, you reach out, you get help, you go see a doctor. And I did all the things that society said and continued to struggle because I felt like I walked out of, I guess, um, a GP or a doctor's clinic with nothing else other than medication, a script and a diagnosis. And I think a lot of people are still doing that. And I guess for me, getting involved in this field was about changing the narrative of what that looks like for people and giving people just like me, just like you, just anyone out there the tools, the tips and the strategies to navigate through the the shit that we go through. And there's a lot of it going on out in that world right now. So for me, I don't think anything that I do is revolutionary or how I got in this field was revolutionary. It was just I was absolutely sick and tired of sitting up the back of funerals. And every funeral I sat up the back of, it was, you know, a confronting slap across the face that something could be different. And I didn't want to continue going down that path. And, I, you know, I'd made those mistakes of seeing my mates that were down out visibly broken upset and i see him and i'd ask him you know stupid questions like are you okay all yeah. the time and they'd tell me i'm fine and you, they say they're fine and you're like oh you feel like you've done your job and feel like you've done everything you can as a mate but because that's all society ever told us to do yeah and so for me it's just been about going around the world and grabbing a different skill set and from change agents right across the world and being able to put that back into myself and not only look after myself on my journey living with bipolar disorder but also in turn, giving that back and looking after my mates and helping other people to do the same thing. I think, you know, very often we get scared of the conversation, we get scared of the topic, but as long as we're operating from this place, the heart rather than the head, I think we can help a lot of people out there. And it's just by having meaningful conversations just like this. So that's all I really want to do. And I mean, it's just grown legs. It's um, 2016. We started the charity and um, I got involved and started organically speaking one day, got pushed out on stage. Um, I ran the Bay of Victoria in three days. We raised like 180 grand for another charity, Love Me, Love You Foundation, which Lance Piccioni was involved in. And um, I'd seen him being a recognisable AFL player at the time. I'd seen a um, Herald Sun article about Lance who was playing in the system at the time and he was going to do this run around the Bay of Victoria and I was like, well, I'll get in contact and see if I can join him. So I didn't have the, I guess, the courage to talk about mental health at that stage but I was like, maybe there's ways that I can help and support without having to talk maybe that looks like joining him on this stupid run. So I went on this run around the Bay of Victoria and, you know, there was a few others that I was familiar with, especially growing up as a Carlton man with Luke Livingston and and, and those. Um, and we all, yeah, hit the, pa- hit the pavers for 350 Ks and raised 180 grand. And it's where I sort of fell in love with being around people who understood the conversation, but were also not scared of it. And I could really show up and be myself and through doing that, then another bloke from that run had said, Matt, what about you come into my workplace? I was in the CBD. Why don't you come into my workplace and share your story about um, the run? I was like, don't know about public speaking, but I reckon <laughs> I could talk about my run. That's pretty easy. He's like, I've only got 15 staff. I love it. I love you yeah, all right, no worries. Rocked up to his workplace and there was like a hundred (laughs) staff and he's not introduced me as the bloke here to talk about the run. He's like, Matt Reynolds has lost six mates to suicide. He's been homeless. He struggles with bipolar disorder and he's here today to talk about his mental health struggles. I was like, what? (laughs) And it, it just organically pushed me out there and I just bawled my eyes out for like 45 minutes trying to tell my story for the first time. And that's everybody else in turn I'm looking at was bawling their eyes out. And then when I left started getting phone calls from footy clubs, community groups, all these things going, can you come talk to us about mental health? I was like, what is this? Like, but it all organically fell into it. And, so um. it's not something that you went out and nah, tried to achieve. It was just. Mate, if somebody else wants my job, they can have it. Like speaking in front of people about struggles, like you've seen at the gala, like I've, I've spoke to 3 million people in 26 different countries, 1200 times on stage. Right. And, uh, I don't think it ever gets any easier. Like I still have moments where I'm rocking up to a gig and I'm like, how can I get out of this? How could I get out of this? Because it's daunting. <laughs> and that, I guess, at the gala was a perfect example of that. I can go a hundred times speaking with no emotion at all. doesn't mean I don't feel it. But then there's that one time like at the gala, for instance, where you're full of a beautiful energy of people. and I could barely string a sentence together. It's still very real every single day and some days hit you more than others and that's what grief is. So, yeah, I guess through organically being pushed out on stage and doing that, i just seen that one person's story could really change many other people's, not life, but help them to change their own life. I don't really save lives. People save their own. So if I could continue to say stuff that would help people push them in the right direction, then I was going to continue to do that. And I was a qualified plumber, mate, and I hated it, <laughs> hated it, like sitting under people's sinks, fishing, um, fixing taps and fixtures and sitting in my head with my struggles. But then I was organically pushed out on stage and there was no way in, no chance that I was out on stage ever. I guess thinking about my struggles because I was only thinking about the people in front of me. Yeah, and that was where I started to really understand the importance of doing things on purpose, in alignment with who you are, but also being present wherever you are in the world. And it's through that that it's organically grown into what it is now. And yeah, I feel very blessed and grateful that we've had the support along the way to be able to do it. But I'm just one bloke with a heart that wanted to make a difference. And hopefully, by doing that, you know we encourage more people to do the same thing.
0: Um, we all have the potential to make a difference. Yeah, there's obviously a lot to digest out of out of what you just said, and something I suppose that really resonates with me is you talked about being organic and authentic, and I think, in especially the mental health place, if you're coming from a space where you've you've had those same experiences yourself, and um, you know what it's like, it's certainly um, going to help um, provide a provide a role model for these people that are struggling. And you spoke about the doctors at the start, and it's like you go into the doctors and. You're another patient for them really. And yeah. they're going to give you some medication. They'll send you out the door. And I think you have to go into those thinking, oh, I want to help myself. Yeah. He's, he's a facilitator for that. Not just he's going to help me. Correct.
1: And, and I think that they also have a role to play in helping us when we do rock up in those environments, seeing us for not another person, not seeing us as I'm the person here that you need, but coming at us as a place of how can I learn from this person who is struggling? Because then they in turn get better. But when sometimes I feel like you know, for not only for myself, but a lot of other people around the world that I meet, we go into these environments and we feel like I need fixing, that yeah. I'm broken, and, and we don't like. And I, I went into those environments doing a little bit of the, that, thinking, you know, this feels off. This person's looking down at me. This person thinks I'm broken that needs fixing, and I start believing those stories. But also go into those environments, um, not telling the truth. Like I'm like, I'll walk myself in and see a GP, which takes enormous amounts of courage, especially when I did it when I was sixteen, seventeen years of age. Like that's a long time ago now. And back then the stigmas were way more harsher than they perhaps are now. We've come a long way. So when I walked in, it's just like I'm here, all right, I'm doing the right things. But when they'd ask me a question about my mental health, I'm like, nah, that doesn't apply to me. And I'm like, like It does. It does. Yeah. And you lie. Because you don't you're still coming to terms with the truth. Um and having that acceptance for it. And I guess only when we have acceptance, like you said, and having them sit there and facilitate that process for us and we allow them to do we get on the right path. And, yeah, I think we could change that narrative for a lot of people in society to understand and go into those situations and not looking like that person here is anything other
0: than someone here that's just holding space for me to to get some of this shit off my chest. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously throughout this podcast, I'll probably put in my opinion and I don't want – by no means am I an expert on the topic or anything and I'm very fortunate where – I, I haven't really ever had these days where I felt down and I'm pretty happy-go-lucky and yeah. um, haven't had experience with the, with the darker side of it, I suppose. Yeah. But um, yeah, I just, I suppose I just want Yeah, no, well, I, I guess uh, this is the beauty of it. Everything that
1: you have experienced is is so valid in terms of, you know, I always say on stage, it doesn't matter if you've lost your pet goldfish or you've lost 11 mates to suicide, pain's pain and it's valid and it belongs to us and it's all we know. So when it's all we know, it hurts. And those like you sharing parts of your story and things that hurt you and, and et cetera, et cetera, for everybody out there, it will resonate with the right person. You know, like I can have all the skills and tools and understanding and formal qualifications or whatever in my field of work, but nobody's ever asked. Nobody's ever gone, hey, man, are you even qualified to do what you do? <laughs> yeah. No one's ever asked because they know I care. And that's the importance for me is to help people to understand that I don't think we have to be – um feel qualified in this space of work, just got to show up and be real and authentic. I mean, the whole reason men don't want to talk about their feelings and emotions isn't because we don't want to. That is a massive misconception and myth that society keeps pushing around, that men don't talk about their feelings. Men don't talk about their feelings for two reasons. We were never taught how to articulate our feelings and people don't hold a space for us to do so. So if the only way we improve our articulation of our thoughts, feelings and emotions is to do more of it. Your articulation of your pain will be different to articulation of mine. Someone will go, oh, the way Jaden experienced it, that's 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 me. That's what I experienced. Yep. And it validates what they, they feel and mine does too for other people. So I guess if more of us are out there just talking and being authentic about who we are and, you know, accepting our pain for what it is, small or big, we'll help someone else out there to be able to go, you know what, if it's good enough for Jaden, it's good enough for me. It's good enough for Matt. It's good enough for me. And I think that that's, you know, we can go a long way to making a difference if we all just buy into that narrative that we we can all make a difference in someone's life. And that's all I was. I was homeless on the street just going, shit, look at the way people are treating each other. It's horrible, yeah. horrible. Sitting there I was wrapped up in a blanket, you know, on the pavers, watching people walk past, treating each other like shit. And then there's also people treating others like with such kindness. And I was like, there it is. This isn't revolutionary, but if she can do it, I can do it. And if I can do it, I can maybe help some other people to know that they're qualified enough to do it too. More people just showing up for each other and being, or acting out of the right place of their heart, like I said before, rather than up here, shit, I'm not qualified. I don't have, Yeah, Yeah, none of us are. And and your doctors that we go into rarely make us feel loved either. I mean, in the best part, like you said, they want to fix and heal rather than just sitting and listening. So. Yeah. I think that there's a great message in that for a lot of people to feel more confident in who they are and their ability to go like, you know what it feels like to hurt. You know what it feels like to be sad and upset. You've had moments like that in your life. Therefore, what can I, what can I how can I use that to make somebody else not feel the same way? Because the same things that helped you out of whatever dark time you've had will most likely be the things that other people need. Love, belonging, and a sense of connection to be seen, to be heard, and to be understood. And when we feel like that, we can climb out of any any situation. I I honestly believe that. No matter how serious what we're going through is, love, belong, connection, seen, heard and got. Yeah.
0: I think the validation and care is what I really took out of that. Like Mm. if you can see that someone's been through the same things as you and you're not the only one in that space hurting, it certainly goes a long way to know that you're not alone and that's a big part of it. And being listened to is hard because you can be in so many places in society and you can speak – and people speak all the time, but there's not, not a whole lot of listening a lot of the time. And yeah. for someone to sit down and genuinely listen and care and um, ask you questions, further talk about the topic, it, it yeah. certainly goes a long way. We'll go back to your homeless, homelessness, which you touched yeah. on. How did you get to that point in your life?
1: Yeah. So it starts back at a really young age. I mean, I went to school every day, like most, uh, you know, a lot of people, like me. I went to school every day. I don't know if you're the same. I went to school every day <laughs> with intent to learn. Yep. Didn't last for long. Um, within about three to five minutes, I'm booted out of the classroom, couldn't focus, couldn't concentrate, couldn't sit still. I never wanted to get booted out of the corridor, but when I did, I made it out like, that. Yeah, that's where I want to be. I'm the cool kid. I'm the, yeah, uh, yeah. that's where I belong. I, don't know. I almost walked myself out before I'd even been booted. It'd become so natural. I was never nasty, never derogatory, but what I was, like, as I said, I couldn't sit still and focus and concentrate. And when I was booted out, often when I couldn't sit still and focus, I'd look around at everyone else in the room and everybody else in the classroom could pay attention. Everyone else could focus. Everyone could concentrate. So as soon as there was a moment where I was like, oh, I'm, I'm tuned out right now, I have to get someone else involved. Yeah. So I don't feel like I'm the only one that can't sit still. Like, and I started, when I go out the corridor, I'd sit in the corridor. And I remember this from days, about ages. I'm sitting out the corridor, bags and lockers. I'm listening to everyone else in the corridor have, I mean, in the classroom have fun, love, belong, connection, seen, heard, got you know, I'm out in the corridor. Am I seen? Nope. Heard? Nope. Understood? Nope. Love? No love in the corridor. Belonging? No. It's not a sense of belonging. And connection? Connection to what? Lockers and bags? That's not connection. And every day I was out there, I just started to paint this picture in my in my head. Like I started to tell myself things that weren't true. And we do, as Australians, we're like seven times more likely to find negatives than a positive yep. in every situation. So in every interaction we have, our brain automatically goes to the the negative side of things most most of the time. So for me, I'm out in the corridor going, my dad's going to be so pissed. Um, I'm going to get in trouble again. I'm a burden on every single person in the the classroom. They're better off without me. And I started to paint these pictures and close those loops in my brain until I started to really believe it. And when I started to believe that from the earliest of ages, I went into plumbing. When I was in my plumbing apprenticeship, Because I dropped out of school, not because I wanted to, I wanted to work in the zoos. Like I really wanted to work with animals in the zoos, but I was just couldn't sit in the classroom long enough to ever go through school. So I dropped out, took up a plumbing apprenticeship purely with no interest in being a plumber, purely just to find a sense of belonging, connection and love that didn't exist in school. Yep. Which I think a lot of males do. We just drop out of school because it seems like a better idea at the time. We have no interest in ever being that, I reckon. (laughs) I had no interest in, especially in Gippsland in Victoria, as cold as shit, playing with people's thoughts and that on a cold 6 a.m. morning. Like, yeah, I don't know whoever convinced me to be a plumber, but I dropped out of school, did that. And then when I was in a uh, plumbing apprenticeship, I had, I was physically and emotionally abused by my boss. And when I was physically and emotionally abused by my boss every single day, you know, that's where I started to see a lot of um, challenges start to come up for me, come to fruition. And I didn't really know how to deal with them. But I started to just fed into that belief about myself the same way at school that I believed I was a burden, worthless, failure. Still to this day at 32, if I'm having a rough day, I'll believe I'm a burden, worthless, and failure. It becomes your conditioning where you you tend to believe these things that were once you could ignore
0: or water off a duck's back. And you've probably spoken them into existence yourself. And that's the. Yeah. That's the. good thing and the bad thing about the mind at times.
1: Yeah, 100%. um, And you you do, if you sit on these thoughts for long enough, you'll believe they're true. Like we can trick our brains into believing anything. Like I look in the mirror and go, you're fat, you're ugly, you're broken, life sucks. Say it long enough, you'll start to believe it. You'll start going to the gym more often, right? It's true. But the same thing, we can say positive things about ourselves that will make a difference too. Um, That's all about mindset and positive affirmations. Leading on from the plumbing uh, apprenticeship, I started to with that physical and emotional abuse every day. It just started to ring thick, just to play into the hands of those sort of things—burden, worthless, failure. I dropped out of the plumbing apprenticeship. Uh, no, on a Sunday night at like eight PM, I said to my uh, father, "I said I'm leaving. I'm going to the Gold Coast. I'm going to Queensland." And he goes, "Like, How you going to get? How's that going to happen? <laughs> you like, you got a plumbing apprenticeship. You got a job to go do." Like, my dad's a legend, mate, and he he makes me think about things thoroughly through. I'm very impulsive, and he goes, um, "How are you going to make that happen?" And I said, "I don't know, but this plumbing apprenticeship is going to be the death of me." And I think it was sort of the first time that he was went, Ooh, "What's going on?" And I was yep. like, they could see I was visibly upset, but they go, "Are you okay?" And I'd go, "I'm fine." The most commonly told lie of Australians, and I'd tell them every day. And then it was like eight o'clock on a Sunday night. Sat down with him, had a conversation, said, "I'm leaving," and then I said, "I need, I need to go away. Like otherwise, I'm not going to be here for much longer. Like I'm hurting." Um, and suicidal and it was the first time I think I've ever really told him that and it sort of took him back, but it made him start to go, okay, he, and this is why he's such a legend. He loves me that much that that idea at the start that he's like, that's not happening. You're not going to Queensland. He's like, if this is what you need to s- smile and to be your best self, I'm here for it. Yep. By five o'clock the next morning, I left. <laughs> Gone. Gone. Moved to Queensland. When I jumped off the plane in Queensland, nothing changed. I'm still struggling, still going through things. But I thought magically that if I left and went to Queensland that the sun might change some. (laughs) Like I think most Victorians do. We think it's better up there. Um, Only to get off the plane and realise that, shit, now I've run away from everything that had ever loved me. Yeah. And because I blamed people too. I blame my parents for not understanding me. I blame the community, blame the bosses, blame the teachers at school from those stories. And then I joined a football club. Same sort of thing, prompted with the question, Matt, why are you here? Why would you move from Victoria? Blah, 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 And I'm like, do I tell them the truth or do I just keep running away from it? And I was like, run away from it. I'm like, oh, I just want a new start. It's hotter up here. Looking forward to it. And you just brush those things to the side. And then within months, like I started bouncing from gutter to gutter, street to street, homeless. And I, I had money in the bank. I had parents that would ring me every day that would do absolutely anything for me. But I made a conscious decision to be homeless because I'm a burden on people.
0: That is extraordinary yep. to, to have the um, the facilities, resources. the resources to, to not be homeless but still choose. That's an extraordinary decision to go through and you're mm. still only a young man.
1: Yeah, I had like fights with people in the community, had arguments and I was self-medicating and doing things that I shouldn't have been doing at the time to numb the emotion. I don't think I ever like, you know, partied or went out and had fun on that premise. I was always very fortunate, I guess, in that regard that – I only ever did things to numb the things in my head because going to see a doctor and getting a script, it wasn't working for me. And that's all I'd ever been taught. And so, yeah, I guess I found myself in situations where I left a house that I was in with a group of fellas that I had a bit of running with because I wanted the best for them too. There's a few boys in there that were, were carrying on a bit. And I'm like, I could probably, you know, I said a few things because I wanted the best for them. But at the time when they're stuck in the party mode, Mm. they didn't want to hear that. And subsequently they didn't want me in the house anymore. And I get we we all get along now. They understand where I was coming from. I was just ahead of my time in terms of that and what I wanted for them. And they had to learn their lessons their own way. But I found myself then bouncing from gutter to gutter, street to street. And I could have gone and got a house, could have gone around rental, could have lived with a heap of different people in town. But I made a conscious decision to live off the street. And when I met other people living off the street, the same way I have in Melbourne, volunteering, um, like Christmas on the streets, doing drops to the homeless. You have a conversation with them. They're consciously there, made a decision themselves to be there. If I have opportunities not to be homeless because they feel like a burden on people. They feel like they weigh people down. And I've always believed that about myself and it's what's led me to do the work that I do. I just got my lucky break in 2012. Like, as I said before, I've had a lot of people walk past me on the street, step over me to get to where they need to get to. Like it's demoralizing stuff, yeah. especially when you love, belong, connection, seen, heard, and got. Nah. And you sit there on the street and you watch how people behave and and behave towards you. It's like homeless, hopeless. He's done drugs. He must have must messed up. He must have pissed someone off. They create all these stories about you. Not one person has ever stopped to get to know me. Yeah. Yep. But they will create these stories. And as Australians, we're seven times more likely to find a negative than a positive. So what are their stories made of? Bullshit. Yep. They don't ask, they don't
0: listen. And None like, of them. It's a lot, and the media like, is very similar too. They are like, exactly like that. Like the tall poppy syndrome in Australia is unbelievable. The people yeah. are just trying to bring you down. Like, there's people out there, and I'll, I'll go to my industry at the moment with footy, and it's like you're out there working hard, you're training during the week, you're doing everything you can, and you rock up on game day, you don't play well. There is that many people that just want to pot you. Yes. I don't know it's like, what you are you doing? doing? You're sitting at home watching the game. Yeah. It's, just, it's just incredible how society is.
1: We, we, we rock up in life with what I call the shit glasses on. And we roll over every morning, and I've got a set of them too. Some mornings we wake up, we put them on. They're the glasses that represent apathy for me. It's like the ability to not feel sensitivity towards someone else or the ability to not have time for someone else. And both of those for me is apathy, and I call them the sheet glasses. On the other hand, we've got empathy, the opposite of apathy. Empathy, the ability to feel sensitivity towards someone, the ability to care for people. Would we – if? They're the love glasses. If we had the love glasses on more often and watched together footy, would we be more inclined to say these things about people? No, because we'd take into consideration how it might make them feel. Yeah. Like it's, I, I, I have a big problem with that. I, I mean, I'll, we have ambassadors in the system. I know a lot of, I've got a lot of mates in the system. I don't know how you do it. And I think that's how we met that night at the gala. I said, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you just do it. Because what no one ever told me when I got involved with Mindful Oz was the responsibilities. I thought I was just doing a good thing and all of a sudden I can't drive my car and eat a burger because someone will message me and go, how's that burger? I'm like, give me a read. And it's on a small scale to what AFL players get, right? Yeah. But it's, I just want to be Matt and left alone and do good work and I make mistakes. I make lots of them. Actually, sometimes I purposely make mistakes so I can grow, right? (laughs) And then there's – because once upon a time I could make him and no one batted an eyelid, but now that I've got a responsibility and a platform as a CEO of a charity and I speak all around the world and I'm a mental health advocate, that I can't do no wrong. It's a very tough environment to live in. I like can I, imagine. But it's the same for your system. Like you are in the spotlight all the time and that's got to be detrimental to people's health, especially like you said with the media. Just jump on people. They just jump on people and that's tough. I think if they could take into consideration – Am I providing that person a sense of love, belong, connection in this piece that I write? I know it's their job. Or social media. Am I taking into consideration, is that person loved, seen, heard, and got? We won't make those stupid decisions to impact someone's well-being. The amount of times we do things not thinking of the implications or how it might be received on the other end yeah, is, is detrimental to people's health and wellness. And we've seen that a lot with the, the amount of struggles that there is in the system with people. That's... I, I, as I said, I'd, I'd, I only get a little snippet of what it's like to have responsibility and to be in the spotlight, a snippet, and it's, a, it's enough for me. I don't know how I'd go if I was uh, on TVs all the time. I'd, I think I'd be in
0: trouble, a lot of trouble. Yeah, it can yeah. certainly be tough. Touched on Mindful Oz. How did you, obviously you began public speaking and going around to schools yeah. and all this sort of stuff. How did you create the, the charity?
1: Yeah, so after that initial speaking gigs and getting booked and things, I was like, oh, there's something in this, and I wanted to desperately get away from plumbing. Oh, <laughs> I just was looking for an out. I would have done anything at that time, I reckon. And um, I was lucky. I was working with a bloke in North Melbourne, plumber, and uh, he was really good about it. He understood my struggles. I was very open when I got the gig and said I was struggling. Um, and I said that this is what I really want to do in the near future. I've got no interest in being a plumber. I'm just being all transparent with you, mate. I'm good at it sometime when I want to be. Um, I'm an all-in or all-out person. So if I'm doing something, I normally do it pretty well. And through that journey, he facilitated and allowed me to go do speaking gigs, yep. do things and take time off work. And then through that, it started to organically grow into a logo that I, d- I literally <laughs> drew on a bit of paper and it becomes something. Um, and then the following and the amount of people that were booking. And then all of a sudden people are like, Hey Matt, can you come speak to my primary school? And I'm like, I don't know that the primary school needs to hear about 11 <laughs> mates of suicide and homeless. So then I build a program and then I build a program and the program's now in primary schools. And it. And I was like, "How? What? Who else can we bring in? And deliver things?" And Mindful Oz became a charity, as non for profit charity, thanks to my dad and, a, and an unbelievable support system above me in our board, who created the you know the operations, the policies, and everything, the constitution behind it, where it became a non for profit in 2016. And since, as I said, since 2016 to the moment I sit in right now, over three and a half million people we've delivered education to. It's crazy numbers for just a bloke who wanted to to see something different. And I've had unbelievable speakers and facilitators right around the country helping me and supporting me along that journey. I'm not the only one that does that talking and facilitating. We have a range of speakers, a range of facilitators, but you know, you would have seen at the gala, our biggest baby at the charity that we love is our Healthy Hearts and Light of Minds program. That's the young kids um, that learned about their emotions as early as early learning centers four, three, four, five, six years old, learning about their six core emotions. Fear, anger, joy, disgust, sadness. I could go out there right now and half our adults in this world would not know their their emotions. So it's a beautiful thing to change the way that the world looks by doing it as early as we can. And um yeah, I just feel very blessed to be on this journey and impact as many people as possible, but also the people I meet. And I just feel very fortunate through storytelling that I enable other people to tell theirs and some phenomenal people out there that have gone through some unbelievable experiences that have shaped them into the person they are. And the more of them we can hear, um, the more we'll fall in love with those people. So I said, I just, I just believe in something different. Um, and I, I, I know it exists. I know it exists. And you know, I was just the kid that used to sit up the back of an auditorium until I heard like Kevin Hines. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Kevin Hines. He he jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge.
0: I am familiar actually. Yes, I have listened to him speak.
1: Yeah. He's my mentor. And he's, he's the one that wrote the testimony on the book. Um, I toured with Kevin in America, but before I did, I sat at the back and I'd listen to Kevin's videos and watch Kevin and I just inboxed him. And I said, love what you're doing for someone who struggles and has lost mates. I really appreciate you. You know, it was like weeks later he goes, I'm on my way to Australia. Can you get to Sydney? (laughs) And then we joined hips with Kevin Hines and it was just me being intently engaged in somebody's story who jumped off the Gongo Bridge, survived it. And I was like, wow, how inspiring. But he lives with bipolar disorder. And so for me, sitting there going, I hate bipolar disorder. It's not. I don't want to be this person. I hate that I've become this person because it's activated by trauma. I would listen to Kevin and all of a sudden I'm like, he lives with it. Yeah, he can do it. And he says it's his gift. Like he uses it as his gift. I'm like, maybe I can do the same thing. And so for me, it was just, again, a reiteration of who could I help in Australia to change the way they look at who they are and it's possible. And so that's, I said, these people that i have been very fortunate through the mindful mindfulness journey to meet and to be surrounded by that have helped me become a a much better person than I was pre-diagnosis. And as much as I miss old Matt, the person I was before I went through all this shit, um, I'm very, very grateful in, in a lot of ways because, you know, I'm sitting here having this conversation. I've met amazing people. I get to travel the world and do this work. I, I meet the most incredible people and people that are vulnerable and authentic about who they are and they're my people.
0: And you touched on the gala, which I obviously went to and listened to little fella speak and yeah, it was talking about their emotions. It was amazing. It was great being in the crowd and yeah. brought my girlfriend along with me yeah. and she really enjoyed it too. But I think it's amazing that you're getting in early yeah. with these kids because a lot of the time when you're dealing with adults, they are, I don't want to say set in their ways, but they, they, they have come to this point where they are feeling – not the way they want to, and it can be hard to change that. Whereas if you can get kids and be impressionable on them, um, teach them about their emotions, create happier kids, um, it's certainly going to help. And I think happier kids are going to be more successful kids, they're going to be more driven kids. Um, So I think the work you do with the schools and the early learning programs is amazing.
1: Yeah, and you're spot on in that. I I mean, unfortunately, like you said, not a criticism of the, the older generation. Like they were never taught it. We were never taught it. Something has to change. And for me, it was like, you know, you have six people jump off a cliff. You've got six ambulances at the bottom. Why don't we just stick one at the top and be more resourceful? Yeah. So for me, it's like, let's have conversations. Let's give kids a better understanding for who they are. Let's help kids to articulate these things. I mean, we talk about this, the six core emotions in the human body, fear, anger, joy, disgust, sadness, like I said before, and surprise. All of them are color associated, which is how the kids perceive that emotion. Anger, red, fast, angry, right? Yeah. Purple, they come up with deoxygenated blood is purple. Pretty awesome from kids. Sadness, (laughs) blue, tears, right? Water. We have little preps. We have kids in early lunatic, the three and four years old that come up to me and they'll be like, Matt, I'm feeling purple today because they don't know how to articulate it because we don't know how to articulate it. Matt, I'm feeling purple today. Then I know as an adult, he's feeling, that's fear. But what could it be? Is it fear? Is it worry? Is it stress? Is it anxiety? They don't know that, but I do as an adult. So then I'm able to help them to unpack it. Pretty cool when you have got like four-year-olds come up and going mad. I feel purple today, and then a little girl runs past and goes, "Well, I can help you make you feel make you feel yellow. Yellow's joy. Yep. I'm like, Look at this happen. It's magic. Watching these kids be able to understand their emotions and help
0: other kids understand each other's emotions, well, not understand only their own, but it's nuts. Knowing that someone's feeling down or they're feeling feeling feelful, and they can then yeah step in and help change their emotions. One of
1: the best things we've delivered our program to over you know probably twenty, thirty thousand 30,000 kids Australia-wide. And um, it was only about four weeks ago at George's River Grammar School in New South Wales, our first Sydney school, and a grade three, young girl, grade three, I'll never forget it. And neither will my facilitators. We've done a lot of this work. We're very skilled at what we do. This grade three girl said to me, she puts her hands up, I was at the back of the room, said to our other facilitators, and we were very cautious about what was about to come out of her mouth at this <laughs> stage. But she goes, I've got a question. And she put her hand up and she goes, we're talking about sadness. And she goes, people don't hold on to their pee. And I'm like, oh, no, where's she going with this? Where's she <laughs> going with this? Shut it down. Shut it down. And she goes, people don't hold on to their pee because if they do, it hurts. And if they hold on to it, it hurts so much that then you get kidney stones. And I'm like, look it's at her three. go. She gets it. And she goes, so I don't really understand why anybody holds on to their tears because that hurts too, and it causes pain. And I'm like, how good's this? Yep. How good's this? These young people get it, and that's how we'll change the world. As I said, if you're impressionable on them, you're fun, you're engaging, you can relate to them, they will be the ones that drive this conversation forward. Whereas one day, my kids, your kids, everyone else's kids will grow up in a world where you can look at someone across the road, across the playground, and go up and go, I don't know you, but I'm here for you. And that the world does not look like that right now. No. And I believe it's possible if we all just do Turn the dime in the right direction. And I,
0: kids are learning from a young age. This stigma is not going to be there when they're, nah. when they're my age, your age. That stigma is not going to be there. They've been talking about their feelings their whole lives. Yeah. So they're obviously going to be a lot more comfortable doing it. And I it's just the, amazing. I mean, the gala, the little fella, Nate, who jumped up on stage and
1: I, I wanted it to come from the heart. So I didn't tell him what to do. Yeah. I just said, you're going to come up on stage. It's going to be really scary, mate. There's heaps of people in the audience. And he got there five minutes before he had to jump on stage because he's not allowed to be in the venue because of alcohol and whatnot. And he jumps up on stage, and as he's coming up on stage, he whispers to me, "Do I have time to make a speech?" And I was like, "What? <laughs> what?" And I'm like, "I should probably read this." And I'm like, "No, nah, you know what? Let's do it." And Just that little legend had wrote a speech to say thank you for teaching him about his emotions, which was everyone's feedback form for the gala. Was their highlight of the night was yeah, this yeah. kid. That's an articulate little emotionally aware kid that will change the world. And that's what it's about for us. And that's what, you know, our gala, like you're saying, it helps us to be able to achieve and do is that room is just full of good energy. That room is just full of people who care, get it, um, that want to be part of it. And it's, you know, 500 people that drive us in the right direction, mate, that allow us to continue to go out there and do what we want to do. As a, as a non for profit who's not government funded, which sucks, um, these <laughs> fundraisers enable us to go and impact the next little life like Nate or like that girl that made the analogy of holding on to the, our year and our P. Yeah. like The world's going to change. It's going to change, but um, it's because people are driving it forward
0: and these little kids are the ones that will do it. And like I said, I was very privileged to, to come to the gala last year and it was an amazing night. Obviously, we heard from little Nate. Um, yeah. There was other stories. Uh, we had a speed painter there. He was fantastic. He was a um, ripper. Um, Auction items. Oh, you raised just over $100,000.
1: Yeah, close to 100 grand, which is just incredible. Um, You know, we are a small non for profit charity. We're the largest, one of the largest providers of mental health education in the state. To not be government supported is a bit, you know, how you doing? But to have those fundraisers where we make hundred grand, we can do a lot with that, and 100%. and we can go out and we'll continue to change the world. We'll make that money go a long way, make it go a long way, and. A lot of charities have come before us and piss farting around with the money they get from the government. We ain't piss farting around with nothing. We are making a difference and our facilitators are the best in the world at what they do. Our programs are fun. They're relatable, they're engaging. Um, and we'll just create little legends like Nate who just go out there and he'll stand in his greatness
0: one day and someone will be better for it. Yeah. If there is anyone out there that is listening and, um, think that they can help in the space or mm. have money to donate, uh, you got the gala again this year, October 21st.
1: Yeah. October 21st Regent Plaza Ballroom. It's a it's a beautiful it's joint. It's Beautiful.
0: A, you walk down the stairs
1: yeah, and yeah, it's a cross between like Hogwarts and something special isn't it? in there. <laughs> it's just crazy. But um, five hundred seat gala, full of amazing people, and like I said, we're super grateful. Like yourself, attended and things like we, you, you reach people we we can't reach. You know, and our ambassadors in the system, in the AFL system, do the same thing. There's just uh, no one was in there for just wanting a night out. It was just everyone was in there just connected by the heart, and it's just it's a beautiful place to be. So yeah, always looking for support, always looking for people who want to join hips with us and, and make a difference. And, um, yeah, one big family of people
0: that just genuinely care about people. Yeah. yeah certainly i big advocate for it. It was a, mm. it was a great night and you, you learn so much. You, you think deeper yeah. about your own feelings. I suppose something that I hadn't really ever done. I, like you said, we've grown up, we haven't really spoken yeah. about emotions. I'm pretty fortunate. I'm happy speaking about my emotions with people and, um, it certainly helped, but, um, yeah, it was, it was a great night. You've actually written a book, Nobody yeah, Can Save Me.
1: Not bad for someone who didn't <laughs> make it through school. No, nah, I had a lot of help on that one. <laughs>
0: There's mate. a few spelling errors in it. But <laughs> <laughs> there, there, nah. there, there actually probably is, but I'll, I'll blame that on the editors, not me. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah. Nobody Can Save Me. Um, what's it got here? Amazon, number one bestseller. Yeah. What uh, encouraged you to to get into writing and COVID.
1: COVID had nothing else to do. Now, so, um, <laughs> no, well, there was about 2016, 2017 in my journey when I, like, as I said, organically started and there was a few publishers that were very interested in signing my story. And I don't know, at the time I, I was like, no, nah, I'm not writing a book, you know, stuff that. Like I'm that kid that couldn't sit still and focus. <laughs> How am I meant to sit still and write a book? And it didn't interest me and I'm glad it didn't at the time. Um, for whatever reason, I said no. And normally I jumped at any opportunity to enhance the conversation or to get in front of more people which a book would definitely do. Um, and then went through COVID and I was delivering to people just on zoom screens and it just killed me. Just killed me. Like I'm talking about my deepest, darkest traumas and people have got their screens off. I'm just talking to black screens screens. Mm. and it killed me. And I basically just put it down for a little bit. I'm not doing this anymore. And I went through, did a lot of podcasts, did like 60 podcasts and same thing. I was just pressing play on trauma all the time, which is, I get it. We're reaching more people, but at the same time, I'm like, I need a breather from this. And um, Dean Publishing House, which do a fantastic job, they um, I approached them. They were the ones that I sort of knew and, and did a great job with this and were, were very tailored in their approach. And I just didn't want it just to... I wanted to do it right. I want to do anything I do right. And so I went with them and there's a team of like 10 or 12 all in house that work on the book. And when I went there with a game plan, and I think a lot of people think you've got to write a book to write a book. Yeah. I didn't write a book. I spoke that book. Yeah, so yeah. I was like, spelling errors aren't on me. <laughs> <laughs> and I went there and yeah, it was like, it was, I guess it's like birthing a child. It was about a nine to 12 month process of meeting with the team. Talent, they were just, they didn't know me. None of them knew me. None of them knew my story. They didn't just read listened. anything. They just listened and they just asked questions. And it was very cathartic to get a lot of this stuff that I'd forgotten about out because they prompted questions I didn't. Uh, I was like, whoa, oof, ouch, that one's been sitting there and I haven't dealt with it. And we got deeper and deeper and deeper, but they'd do it for like two hours. They'd scribe, they'd send it back to me and I'd had to turn like, say, 500 words, 1,000 words, and I'd fill in the gaps yeah. and do a little bit of writing. So they're probably the spelling <laughs> of And then I send it back and it just become that process. And it didn't become from start to finish. We were just doing this, 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 and then they, as experts, molded it together. I wasn't sure how many people would actually pick the thing up and read it, but um, yeah, I mean, to become a bestseller in a few different categories in the first 48 hours, to still be sitting amongst them, um, and for the book to still be selling worldwide is crazy to me, but it, I'm just a bloke with a heart that tells a story, and I tell a story and give a few skills and tools that I think people just find very relatable. And it's a nice way to hear it. It's the same way I needed to hear it from the likes of Kevin Hines and those that helped me. And I just want to do the same thing. But I guess it's a very controversial title. No, nobody can save me. And, and I'm, pu- I'm a big believer in that, that you know, nobody can save me unless you remove someone from physical danger. That's when you save somebody. And a lot of people will credit me, credit Kevin Hines with saving their life. I've never saved anybody's life. I've never removed anybody from physical danger. What we do is give people the skills and tools to go and save their own. And that's what that title's about. That's what it's about. And I wanted to debunk a lot of the myths. You know, there's a lot of things about medication, a lot of things about professional support. I'm not a hater. not bashing them. I just make people aware of what goes on. Because if people are more aware, then they can make better choices. Where I was just the kid who was told, go to a GP, get this, get that. And I was spat out the other side, pumped full of medication, not understanding anything about myself.
0: It's important to let people know they have options. It's not ah, just this yeah. is the one way to fix it. There is multiple ways to, multiple. to fix things or to have a better outlook, to, to feel happier within yourself. Yeah. Um, so if you can facilitate that, that and show that there are options, it's, yeah. that's all you can and really I think do to people, help.
1: Yeah, some people get carried away going, oh, he bashes medication. No, I don't. If you hear it like that, that's fine. But what I'm doing is making people aware of what the truth is. This is all evidence-based. It's researched, back, backed, that book. Um, and I'm just saying the things that other people are too scared to say. And even by saying those things, then you're better educated and equipped to go, okay, that's for me, that's not like you said. And I just wish my journey had to look like that. You know, I've lost 11 mates to suicide, all under the age of 25, all male. I've lost maybe four of those mates in the first 30 days of getting help and support yeah. because things were heightened. And I just wish their journey looked different. I wish mine looked different. So i make people aware so they can make better educated choices and and discussions. Um, And the same way anything that I've found in that book is not revolutionary has come from me. I've built this book and everything that I do in the field of advocacy from world's best. The knowledge yeah, that you've gained. Yeah, it. and I bring it in and sorry to them, but I rip it off and repeat it. And <laughs> I do it in a way that makes people go, that makes sense to me. I'll water it down, dumb it down maybe perhaps. But uh, yeah, as I said, I just want more people to understand the truth about things and to make better decisions for themselves so that they can live a healthy, happy and fulfilling life. I live with bipolar disorder. I was told that um, now that you've got bipolar disorder, you've got to swing between suicidal lows, manic highs, um, your lifespan will decrease by nine years on average. And I'm sitting there going, how good's this? Like, what else is going to go wrong? Like, you know, and I was just sat there going, walking out of the place, and I was just like, imagine if he had of reframed that and said, you know what, Matt? And Paul Dalio says the same thing. Imagine if I'd have walked out of that clinic the other day with a diagnosis of bipolar disorder, which is a scary thought because no, one, no one's talking about that yet. That's still very stigmatized. And um, imagine if I walked out of the clinic that day, bouncing down the street, skipping almost, because he goes, Heath Ledger, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Mel Gibson, Kanye doesn't matter. They all make mistakes, but guess what? They've achieved greatness. Yeah. Imagine that narrative instead of walking out of there going nine and a half years lifespan decreased, suicide, lows, manic highs, and unless you take this script and pump yourself full of that, Matt, life's not going to be much fun. That's how he told me it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, what? how good's this? Like, I just felt like a heap of shit that day, and I was like, I'm going to change the way that that looks. I'm going to make sure that the eight hundred thousand other Australians living with bipolar sort of understand it the way I understand it. Because unless I told people I live with it, they would never know. And I'm not medicated. I live healthy, happy, fulfilling life because I have found other tools and skills, like you said, that help me to be the best version of myself. I hang around good people. Not one question was ever asked of me at school, why couldn't you focus and concentrate? Not one question was asked of me in a professional service about who I was hanging around what choices I was making. So how can you make a decision on... What I, what's going on in my life and and where I'm at without understanding it. And so I guess I want people to understand that about themselves and ask themselves the questions about their environments, their choices and their behaviours and what they're doing to put wellness back in their own hands.
0: When it's in my hands, I won't drop it. When I give my wellness to somebody else,
1: I uh, don't know.
0: We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. So- we touched on the power of the mind earlier. That's exactly what you said, Like if that doctor sends you out with this negative thought in your mind and it. there's so many people that can walk down the street and believe it rather than getting that positive news that there's so many other people that have achieved so much with the same condition as you. Yeah. Um, it's just amazing how much power the mind has and how much power other people's words and the way they articulate things can yeah. really impact your decision-making, your thoughts.
1: Yes, 100%. I mean, I think of the word suffering straight away. As soon as you ask anyone about mental illness, depression, anxiety, they go, I suffer with anxiety. I suffer with depression. This is confronting, but suffering? is accepting torturous defeat, dying in installments. That's the dictionary meaning for of it. Suffering, yeah. Yeah. So it's just like if you suffer, you're saying you suffer with anxiety, why are you accepting that as the fate? But people say it. They own it. Well, badge of honor. I suffer with depression. So like, no, you don't. That's a choice. Yeah. I don't suffer with bipolar. I don't suffer with depression,
0: anxiety. I live with it. We even speak about that in the footy club. One of our things, I think it was last year, our coach, David Noble, he said there's a big difference between suffering and pain. Mm-hmm. So- in footy terms, and I, I don't want to liken footy to mental yeah. health, but well, there's a lot of similarities. But with pain and suffering, it's like at the end of that fourth quarter, the game's close. There's a tough. You're going to feel pain. You're mm. definitely going to feel pain. But if you make turn that into you feeling suffering, yeah, it's going to have a negative effect on you.
1: Yeah. Oh, and the more you let it seep in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what's you know, I know Goggins ain't everyone's favourite cup of tea, <laughs> but it, for, it's but it's evidence based. It's research. Same as that, it doesn't? You don't have to like them. That's the truth's The truth. When you think you are got nothing left in the tank, you've only ever tapped into 40% of what you're capable of. Yep. 97, I will get this fact wrong, but 97% of people I'm pretty sure go to, go to the deathbed with only ever tapping into up to 30% of their brain's capacity. They've never explored what's possible for themselves because we're just content on being here. And as a, it's a very cliche thing to say there's levels to the game, but there is. There's levels to work, levels to life, levels to sporting success, no matter what it is. There's levels to this thing. And you'll know that you notice the people within your walls at your football club, you'll notice the people who do it well um, in any part of professionally environments, there's levels to it and they do things differently and they do things thoroughly and they do things with discipline. And that's for me, I was like, when I hear Paul Dalio and Kevin Hines say that they live with, well, it was Paul Dalio that said to me, I live with bipolar and I'm bipolar proud Bipolar strong and my bipolar is my gift. And I went, what an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) But the more you know, the more you don't like someone says something, you listen more and I listen more and I was like, he's right. Why do I keep saying suffering? Why don't I choose to love this and live with it? Because there is no cure. So you've only got one choice, Matt. Keep (laughs) suffering and keep saying life sucks or love it and learn to live with it and create magic with it. And I truly believe that by doing that, my life has dramatically improved. Whereas, you know, I've always said you can't be critical of all the things that bipolar has done to me that I hate if I'm not also willing to accept the things that it's done to me that are great. And I've had way more great things happen in my life as a result of being this person than I had before it. So I mean, like, it's a much easier way for me to live when I start to look at it like a gift. And a lot of people don't like hearing that, well, this is crazy. Bipolar is a gift. Like, yeah, but. They will never, they haven't got to that place yet where they are so in tune with who they are and they just go, you know what? This ain't, this is me. Unique, wacky, wonderful, flaws and all, but I'm going to do the most with them. And then I think that's a much easier way to look at anything that we go through in life, especially mental illness. So, yeah, it's uh, like we said at the very start, you go back to our mind and how powerful it is and what we tell it. I just choose not to tell mine that I'm suffering. I choose to tell it that I'm living with it. And living with something is much more hopeful than suffering from it. So yeah. for me, if you can change that articulation for people out there, maybe they too can uh, learn to
0: love who they are a little bit more. And every human has deficiencies. Obviously, no one's perfect. So <laughs> I, think, I think if everyone just in general yeah. sees themselves as a gift, yeah. whether it be I've got my deficiencies, but mm. I choose to think, oh, well, I'm good at these other things. Mm. And I think everyone, it's an important thing and a great thing that you came, just said, say that your life's a gift. Yeah. Because it is really. Oh, we're very Everyone's different. It's amazing.
1: We live in the best country in the world. Now, best state uh, is up for discussion of recent times, but we, <laughs> we, we're pretty lucky people. Like, yeah, yeah. But we're very quick. As I said, Australians are seven times more likely to find a negative than a positive. So yeah, don't be down and out on yourself for sometimes whinge and moan and complaining. We're, we're allowed to do that. But it's also about don't sit in it. Don't bathe in it. Don't stay there any longer than you need to. I stayed stuck in a what I describe as a bathtub of bad limiting beliefs about myself some andpho and I lived there for eight years suicide attempts homeless struggled crap person to the people around me never helped anybody a lot of stress and overwhelm to the people that love me have trying to look after me and trying to you know put a smile on my face and then I got out of that bathtub dried myself off created a new narrative for myself and went about trying to look at life a different way do I still hurt yes do I still go through the same struggles as I did day one to this moment I sit in? yeah I'm just more equipped to deal with them I have a better way at looking at them, more skilled to navigate my way through them. And um, I understand that everything that has happened to me as a result of all the pain and suffering and that I have endured is adding up to something more beautiful and resilient on the other end. And I'm open to that. Whereas in the old, old Matt was like, this sucks, why me? That entitlement trap that life owes me something. And as you said, life owes us nothing. We're lucky to be here and especially lucky to be in this country.
0: Certainly. And to be able to accept accept how you are and accept your own feelings and then to then take the next step and help other people mm. to join you and accept their own feelings. It's an amazing thing that you do. How does the next five years look for you? What are your achievements?
1: It's a good question. Goals? We did a whole day of strategy yesterday with my um, strategy, uh, my chairman on my board and you know, they, they, them, them days suck because <laughs> um, I'm just someone who's like, I do think big, but it's sometimes it's overwhelming. Yep. And he's he's so great at getting me to understand what the next five years look like or to keep me honest to what I'm trying to do and achieve. We've got some big game plans at Mindful Oz, but also what I would love to see happen. You know, that I'd spoke on Friday to my team. Uh, I've got 10 new facilitators in my program and I shared my, uh, footy clubs often do it, my hero, my hardship and my highlight of my life, the three H's. And I showed the highlight and, you know, the highlight of my life right now is sitting back in auditoriums and watching my speakers go to work smashing it. but yep. well, It's not me. My primary school program that I created one once upon a time is now being delivered by other amazing facilitators, not me. Mindful Oz, next five years, hopefully I'm out as CEO. Someone else with more brains can come in and do that work. <laughs> as someone who can take it to the next step. I think I've taken it to where it can go to with my capacity. I stay involved as a facilitator, as a speaker or training the next facilitators and, uh, facilitators and speakers. But in terms of my life, um, you know, mind, mindfulness is on its own trajectory, and it'll keep ah, just kicking ass. It really will. Um, but I guess for me, yeah, I envision. You know, I've only just recently um, had a, a relationship breakup in February, where I was the f- um, I was a father to the, my ex partner's little one, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. So it really, I guess, woke me up to. And that's been stripped now. The greatest thing that has ever happened to me. It really. That's it, it hurts like being a dad and then being called a dad and now not and that hurts but it's also showed me what's possible and I think it's grown me up a little bit in terms of I like, I like looking at what the next five years looks like now, now I'm really in excited about the potential of one day having a family and then going through these things not facilitated by dad but so there's a team of people out at your school what are they delivering? Healthy arts and light of minds All right, that's interesting yeah so it's I guess for me it's about yeah I'd like to settle down have a family and do more of what I'm doing but in a different way yeah I'd like to work one-on-one with people not do the masses and I'd like also like to train the next speakers and facilitators now that I've got a platform that's recognized around the country to give that platform to as many people as possible the same way Kevin Hines gave his platform to me and he didn't have to do that but by Kevin Hines getting me overseas to speak for, open for him and then he comes out after me when I came back to Australia everyone's like who's this guy and he put me on the map who can I put on the map so that they can go and achieve greatness and so that they can go and impact the next young life because as I said it's not about me it's not about my story um everybody's got one and I want to help more people to be able to tell theirs and I think that that's what I want to do over the next five years is really hone in on that and and help people to step into the truth of who they are and and help others to do the same thing
0: yeah it's obviously been it's been very insightful chatting to you and I think we could sit here for two three four hours and just keep chatting but um we're probably gonna have to wrap it up there it's it's been great what you've been able to share obviously your own experiences then willingness to help others, it's its really inspiring. And um, for any of those out there, check out Maddie. check out Mindful Oz on Instagram, their website, all their socials. Um, they do some amazing work in the community like Maddie's mentioned. And um, yeah, hopefully it continues to to succeed and kick ass as you'd say. Yeah, um, yeah it's obviously been a bit of a deeper episode. Usually we're yeah. getting on sports people where everything's been fluffy and everything's been good, but <laughs> to sit down and have a yeah. chat about things that are very present in society, but not always spoken about. And, um, yeah, it gives people an insight mm. into that side of things. Um, I've obviously missed out speaking about the sponsors. So yeah, Ring is exactly. Western, obviously it's great. The work they do in the community as well. And, um, they're a great sponsor of my podcast. So thank you to Ring is Western and, um, yeah, I just don't think it was the right episode to put a Ringers Western thing about camping right in the middle. So.
1: Well, I mean, everything's important, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, I, I, you mentioned camping straight away and, you know, I was only on a podcast the other day that more we can do to look after ourselves and the more we can get outside and fill our cup up essentially, you know, and that's what this is, uh, the better we'll be. So yeah, I mean, there's always time for, for, uh, people
0: doing the right things. hundred percent Ringers are definitely that. So yeah. thank you. And, Thanks to Braden and Roland Media in the van. Um, he does a great job. He's got a great setup here. You it's you awesome. loved it as you walked I in. I loved it. I loved it. I love this. I don't want to get out of the joint. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I said, we could sit here and talk for hours. But um, I really appreciate your time, Matty, and appreciate all the work you do in our community, in our schools. Um, and I'd be very happy for my future kids to yeah. to be sitting through one of your programs. So thanks again, mate, and all the best for the future. Appreciate it, mate. And like I said at the start, thanks for
1: opening up these conversations. I know because sometimes it's not fluffy, but it's um, they are important and they don't have to be carried about with doom and gloom. They can smile they can laugh and that's what we've done here today so hopefully more people can do
0: that but thanks to you thanks again for watching i um, if you haven't already check out our socials instagram spotify apple music youtube give us a share a like subscribe leave a rating all that sort of stuff helps me to continue to create episodes like this and um obviously i'm sitting here and i'm interviewing you and you're learning about about the guests that i have on but i'm learning just as much sitting on the other side of the chair so um, until next time guys we'll see you then